0: We're in Colossians chapter 3 this evening, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Also, as you find the book of Colossians, if you would turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we're actually going to begin our study in John 13 and then jump over to Colossians chapter 3. i found this section of scripture tonight to be extremely challenging. It's, it's a call to live differently. It's a call to live vertically instead of horizontally. We're going to begin looking at the life of Christ and his mindset, the way that he lived his life with this vertical perspective. But God wants to get a hold of our hearts tonight, and I believe that there's a, a loving challenge that comes from, from his Word. So Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough to to challenge us to live differently than the world, to live differently than how we would on our own in our natural mindset. So we want to have ears to hear. We want to have hearts that would understand. Pray that you would get me out of the way and help me to communicate in a clear way, in a loving way this evening. God, we do thank you for everything that's happening in other places of the facility tonight as well. We pray for junior high ministry and high school ministry that you would bless it that you'd pour out your spirit. We thank you for the opportunity to do Awana. We pray you bless these kids, give them a hunger for your word, a heart to know the gospel, to hear your voice. Thanks for all of the servants, all of those that are volunteering, and pray that you would bless them. God, I thank you for those that are right here in this sanctuary tonight, in the midst of a busy week and school and work and all of the chaos of our lives. They've taken the time to be here. So would you bless them? Would you be gracious to them and just show them your love afresh tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the end of Christ's life. John 13, the first four verses, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Jesus always had eternity in mind. He lived his life with a divine clock ticking, this hour Knowing that his hour had come speaking of the moment that he would die upon the cross the moment that he'd be crucified For our sins in verse 1 it says having loved his own who were in the world He loved them to the end and God wants us to live our lives as well with eternity in view Everyone that doesn't know Christ as our Savior very understandably is living a horizontal priority All that matters is the here and now. Just trying to survive, just trying to get through this life, really no thought to eternity or no thought to the importance of how they live their lives. I'm simply food for worms. There's nothing after this life. So what does it really matter? And it's easy for us as believers to fall into that same mindset, and what we find in Colossians is is that we're to seek those things that are above. We're to have a vertical lifestyle, vertical living. That we're not just on the horizontal. We're not just trying to make it through the day. Not just trying to get the bills paid, get the laundry done. And I know that's hard enough. That's a miracle in and of itself, isn't it? There's six of us, the Cartier clan. Those daily things and all the challenges of life, it's easy to lose sight of, of eternity. So I pray that tonight is a fresh call on our hearts and lives of what really matters to press in to that vertical living. To have the proper lifestyle, there's four things that we're going to look at tonight. And it's what we seek, what we think, what we slay, yes, what we kill, and what we wear. Those four things, seek, think, slay, and wear. So now let's go to Colossians Verse 1, chapter 3, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. If you've been following with us through this book of Colossians, you know the theme is the preeminence of Christ, that he's the head, that he's to have supremacy in our lives. The first two chapters dealt with doctrine and defense of that position. It's laid out theologically that Christ is preeminent. Last week, we looked at then how that is challenged in our lives and needs to be defended because there's false teachers. But there's a shift in the book. As we get to chapter 3, it's no longer doctrine, but it's devotion. It's if Christ is number one in my life, if Christ is preeminent in my life, then how do I live? How does that then translate into how I spend my time, what each day looks like, how I invest my life. So we're challenged in verse 1. It says, if you were then raised with Christ. If is really better translated as since. Since you were raised with Christ. Because we were crucified with Christ, buried and raised with Christ. That's the reality of who we are in Christ. Since you are raised with Christ, then here's this vertical living that God has given to us. This is all wrapped up in our identity in Christ and our relationship with him. Because we are in Christ, because we are raised with Christ, our lives should look differently than unbelievers. Several years ago, I was going to take out the trash on a Friday morning. Friday is trash day at our house. And there was a kid that was walking on the sidewalk down the street backwards. And it got my attention. How often is somebody walking down the street backwards? And what we're going to read tonight is backwards living. People should be around us and they should see they're doing life differently. This is so different from the way that someone knows that doesn't know Christ as our Savior. It should get their attention. But in fact, it's not backwards. It's right side up. This is the way that God would intend us to live. So the first thing in vertical living is what we seek. It says, seek those things which are above. What does it mean to seek? It's passion, it's priority, it's pursuit. You're seeking after something. So if I'm claiming that Christ is preeminent in my life and he's number one in my life, it's going to be reflected by what I seek. Well, what's the passion of my life? What's the priority of my life? And what God is telling us here is make your passion and your priority the things that are above. So what's above? Well, it tells us Christ, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So I should be seeking Christ and that relationship with the Lord, the things that he has prepared for us for all of eternity. I was thinking about the marriage feast of the lamb this week. And just by the fact that Christ calls us his bride and he's the bridegroom means that he finds us attractive. Means that he wants to spend time with us. That's the illustration of the groom and how the groom feels about his bride. Do you see forgiveness with Christ is not that he's just brought us into a neutral state. It's not like God has forgiven us and saying, well, I'm just okay with you. I'm just kind of neutral about you. And a lot of us, even as believers, feel like God hates us because we're such screw-ups. You know, that's really what we believe in our hearts. God must, must hate me. And if he doesn't hate me, he's just kind of neutral to- towards me. Well, that's not the scru- truth of Scripture. It tells us that he's created us righteous now because of our position in Christ to now where we're the bride of Christ, and he's attracted to us, and he wants to spend time with us. And what's above is heaven and this marriage feast that he has prepared for us, and this incredible relationship with Christ. Sometimes I just can't get past the food that's going to be prepared, and what that's going to be like. But there's the relationship that we're, we're entering in with the Lord. So in this vertical living, as we're going through this life, just like Jesus, knowing that this is temporary, this is temporary tent dwelling, is the first thing that we should be seeking is that relationship with the Lord. That every day of our life is, Christ, I want to know you more. I want to hear your voice. I want to walk with you in obedience. I want to follow you. I am seeking after you. But the challenge is, we are in this life, aren't we? We struggle with our own sin. We struggle with the temptations of the world, the cares of this world. And it's easy for our days to go by where we're not seeking that relationship with the Lord. We're not seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. We have to be intentional. We go, okay, if if Christ is preeminent in my life, then this results in a commitment to seek him, and sometimes I'm going to feel like it, and sometimes I'm not. Isn't that reality? So it, it's discipline at times that then leads to delight, but sometimes we're in that place of discipline where Christ, you're number one, so I am choosing to seek you in my life. What are some other things that are going to be above for all of eternity? Christ, And people, isn't it? When you think about eternity, it's first Christ, it's knowing Christ and seeing him and beholding him, but then secondarily, we're going to start to look around the throne room of God that's described here, where Christ is seated next to the Father, and we're going to begin to look for loved ones, aren't we? We're going to look for our spouse. We're going to look for our kids. For those of you that are grandparents, you're going to look for your grandkids, you're going to look for your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your coworker, your neighbor. One of the most impactful teachings that I've ever heard in my life was a devotion that was given by Dr. Dobson after he had a heart attack many years ago that's entitled, Be There. Where after that experience of having a heart attack, he said that what became very important to him is that his loved ones would be there at the throne room of God. I mean, imagine the heartbreak of one of our children not being there. Looking around the throne room of God and going, where's, they're not there. They don't know Christ. They never knew Christ. They rejected Christ throughout their whole entire life. And the result of it is they don't have eternal life. What if you looked at in the throne room of God and you go, you know what? This brother of mine, This sister of mine, we're flesh and blood, born from the same parents, and they're not there. They're not around the throne room of God. This neighbor that I lived next to for fill in the blank for all of these years, they're not there. They didn't know Christ as their Savior. But I'll be honest, and this is why this is challenging for me, because in the midst of daily life and the challenges of it, and sometimes the daily grind of it, is I lose sight of the priority of those that don't know Christ as our Savior. I'm not giving thought to this as much as I should. I'm not seeking this as much as I should. But this is part of vertical living. And I got to tell you, vertical living sets us free. When we're seeking those things that are above, the things of this earth don't ensnare us in quite the same way. Because I'm just passing through. I'm just headed through and I've got a purpose here to know Christ, to make him known, to invest in those things that are above. The way that Christ is described is he's seated at the right hand of God, always seated. Because the work of Christ is complete, it speaks of his power, his sovereignty, that he's not stressed, that he's not worried. Acts 7 verse 55, when Stephen was martyred, he had a vision of heaven and Christ was standing. That's the only time in the New Testament we see Christ standing at the throne room. He was welcoming Stephen into the presence of the Father. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So first we've seen what we need to seek in vertical living. It's Christ and it's people. Those are the two things that last for all of eternity. Now we look at what we're to think about, what we're to meditate. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Throughout the scriptures, God calls us to a place of account, accountability for what we think about. For people that don't know Christ as their Savior, they go, thoughts aren't powerful, thoughts aren't important. It really doesn't matter what you think about. That's your private world. That's your private life. You you can think about whatever you want to think about. But God says, You're my son, you're my daughter. The battle is won and lost in the mind. It's very important what we meditate upon. It's very important what we think about. And here we're called to set our mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. God wants us to have an eternal perspective, to be thinking about, okay, well, what is above? Okay, Christ is above. Okay, people are going to live for eternity, Okay, what's my life in light of all of eternity? I'm putting my mind on those things that are above. And I think we see that in Christ. We see that in John 13. He was aware of eternity. He was aware of his earthly life here on this earth. And then it says, don't set your mind on things on the earth. If you have that eternal mindset, how helpful is it when the car breaks down? Extremely helpful. What a waste cars are, huh? You know? Talk about money pits. Every day they lose value. It costs money to maintain. You've got to put gas in them. Pay insurance. All those, all those type of things. But when we have an eternal perspective, we go, I'm not going to need a car in heaven. This is temporary. This is no big deal. What is it in light of eternity that my car's broke down and I've got to invest... More money into it. As difficult as chronic pain is and physical disease, that can consume us when our mind is set on this earth, isn't it? My life here isn't going to be the same. That's hard. I don't think anybody desires that for themselves or or their loved ones. Then we begin to think about eternity. God, I've got a glorified body. This is the worst that it's ever going to get for me. And that glorified body is never going to know pain. It's never going going to know disease. There's a broken relationship and you pray for reconciliation, pray for healing. Maybe it'll happen on this side of heaven. But when you think about eternity, there's going to be absolute perfect unity with all believers, isn't there? Absolute reconciliation. Imagine enjoying relationships without sin. That's going to be nice, isn't it? to never sin against someone, to never have them sin against you. And we set our mind on things that, that are above. But it's a choice of the mind. We have to filter out those thoughts that are thoughts of this earth. Some people have looked at this verse and said, does this mean you just check out on life here on earth? Not at all. It's not that we don't give any thought to the concerns of this life. It's not that you don't go get your car fixed. It's not that you're not responsible with your finances or seek reconciliation in a relationship, but the perspective is different. Does that make sense? So now I'm engaging with the annoyance of my car with an eternal perspective. It's a a different attitude towards it. So now I'm going to these doctor visits with a body that's failing with a different perspective. I'm still going to the doctor visits. I'm not saying that there's no value to the doctor or any desire to, to have better health here, here in this life, but it's the perspective that is different. How does God place our minds on eternity? If this is his word, and for our benefit, he wants us thinking those thoughts of eternity, how would he turn our thoughts from this world to heaven? Trials. It's a good way for him to turn our hearts and minds in the right direction. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned trial that will cause you to rejoice in heaven, right? Another way that God does this is through transfers. Believers die and they go to heaven. They get deposited at God's throne room and all of a sudden heaven becomes very real, doesn't it? We begin setting our mind on heaven in a different way. We start thinking things like right now I'm singing to Jesus And they're singing to Jesus. I'm singing in faith that one day I will behold. They're singing in reality. They're right before the throne room of God. And transfers have a way of setting our minds on things that are above. And also treasure. Treasure is a way that God causes our heart to be deposited in heaven. Jesus taught us that our heart will follow treasure. Whatever we put our finances into, ultimately our heart will will follow that thing. So when we invest in kingdom work, our mind gets deposited in heaven. Verse 3, it says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. Underline, you died. We need to be reminded that we died. We like the risen part I'm risen with Christ. But this means that we are dead to sin, that our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ, but we're also dead to trying to find fulfillment in horizontal living. What do I mean? Solomon in the Old Testament, David's son, as a person who believed in the Lord, tried to find fulfillment outside of his relationship with the Lord, with all of the things that this world had to offer. So, it kind of, if you picture someone saying, Well, I'm just going to set my relationship with God aside over here, and I'm going to try every worldly pleasure that there is to see if I can find fulfillment. And he writes about that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And his conclusion was it was all vanity, emptiness, no fulfillment. And when we set aside a relationship with Christ and we start to look for this world to fulfill us, we of all people will be the most unfulfilled, won't we? Because we have too much of Christ in us to enjoy the world, but we got too much of the world in us to enjoy Christ. Some of you tonight, I'm like talking to deaf ears. And it's more than that you've just had a long week or that you're tired. You don't have any interest for vertical living, There's nothing here that moves you to say, I'm going to do anything different. And you are really moved to try to find fulfillment with what the world has to offer. It's going to be a tough road. It's going to be a road of emptiness. We can take it from Solomon's experience to go, those things will lead to vanity. It's all found in a relationship with the Lord. I'm dead to these things. Again, not that I'm disengaged from this life or I don't enjoy this life, but I'm looking to my relationship with Christ to satisfy instead of the things of this world. It's not the car. It's not the money. It's not relationships. It's not ministry, even good things. I'm not looking to things or people. I'm looking to the Lord. It's vertical living. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we're dead to the things of this world. But our life is hidden with Christ. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? The, the wording that Paul gives. Why would he say that our life is hidden with Christ in God? Does this mean that nobody knows that we're a follower of Christ? No. But what this does mean is there's an aspect of our relationship with Christ that nobody sees but us and Jesus. There's a part of it that's public, but there's a part of it that's hidden. There's a heart part of it that's that's private because of our closeness with Christ. So our life is hidden with Christ. In verse four, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he appears, and he's our life, then you will appear with him in glory. Can we say that Christ is our life? You know, that's vertical living. Some would say... Golf is my life. Exercise is my life. Music is my life. Nothing wrong with those things. Hope that you enjoy those things. But hopefully we're known that even over our passion for golf or our passion for work or that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, that Christ is our life. And then when he appears, we get to appear with him in glory. I want you to write down if you write in the margin of your Bible or you're taking notes tonight it will be worth it. It's worth it. Just write it down. It's worth it. If you decide to go down this road of vertical living and say, you know what, this is what I'm going to seek. This is what I'm going to think. This is where I'm going to put my priority and passion. At the culmination of all things, Christ wins. At the culmination of all things, Christ returns. And he says, if Christ is your life, then you're going to appear with him and you're going to appear with glory. Those days when You think, man, no one sees me doing this laundry under Christ. If it wasn't for Christ, I wouldn't be doing this laundry. No one sees me cleaning this restroom under Christ. No one sees me doing this mundane work under Christ. No one sees me fill in the blank. God sees. And you're going to appear with him in glory, and it's going to be worth it. And then we get to look at what we need to slay. You guys ready? Therefore, in light of this, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So these things are defined as idolatry. It's not a separate warning. It's an all-inclusive warning that these things sneak into our lives and become idolatry idols. These are the things of the earth. These are the horizontal living that are a threat to vertical living, and God says you need to slay them. Let's quickly look at the definitions of these. Fornication is sexual immorality, any form of sexual immorality. Uncleanness is anything that is not clean. Passion speaks of an infection of the mind, a passionate desire, a sinful desire. Evil desire is very similar. It's a desire for what is forbidden. Why do we do that? Why do we not want what's good and we really want what's bad? It's an evil desire. Covetousness is a greedy desire to have more. Longing for something that doesn't belong to you. And then this is what forms the idol in our life and becomes more important to us than Christ. This spring was a monumental turning of the page in the life of our church. We had a sexual integrity conference. Had four weeks of weekend messages talking about God's design for sexuality and sexual sin. But that's not not a conversation that we want to stop having, amen? It's not like we want to just be challenged in sexual integrity for four weeks in the life of our church and then forget about it. Because sexual sin is going to be a temptation until we go home to be with the Lord. So God says, put it to death. We have to daily walk with Christ, daily walk on the offensive and that place of saying, okay, I don't want to be sidetracked by this. I don't want pornography to enter into my life. I don't want to start to entertain thoughts with someone who isn't my spouse. For those of you that are single, to start to go down a road of sexual sin prior to marriage God says in these areas of sin, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, keep them on life support. Just keep them on life support because you never know when you're going to need them. I mean, a little covetousness can be handy sometimes. Can can really get you somewhere. God says put them to death. Slay them. Don't keep them on life support. It destroys... The vertical living? And is there an area of our lives that we've maybe dealt with 80%? We go, man, I'm doing so much better than I ever did before. Or man, I'm doing so much better than this other believer. God doesn't want us comparing. He goes, I know your heart, Eric. You're keeping this alive. In your mind, you've decided that you're going to keep the back door open. And God says, slay these things. Put them to death. We've been crucified with Christ. The power of sin's been broken, so we have to reckon the old man dead. We have to remind our sinful nature, you're dead to that. That's not who you are anymore. Don't walk in these things anymore. These things will form an idol in our lives. It becomes something that we worship instead of Christ. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So if we were not in Christ these things would then bring God's judgment upon us. That's how serious these things are to the Lord. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Past tense. You used to walk in this. This was a part of your life before you knew Christ as your Savior. But now God has called us out of these things. So the last thing that we see tonight, we're going to go down to verse 14, hopefully. If, If we don't run out of time. If I speed up and talk really, really fast. Is what we need to wear. What we need to wear. This vertical living comes with its own wardrobe. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. This is our wardrobe before we knew Christ as our Savior. This is the wardrobe of the world, of horizontal living, of this is all that matters. And just like if you were working out in the yard or doing a cleanup project and you got your clothes filthy dirty, what do you do? You put those clothes off. And these are the things that God wants us to daily put off. Be nice if we put them off, if they never came back on, but they're constantly a threat in our lives, so we've constantly got to put them off. And the first is anger. This is the outburst of Wrath. This is when we blow our top and lose our tempers. Wrath is hot anger or fierceness. Very similar. The two go together. Malice is ill will or the desire to injure. That's when you're like, I just wish destruction on that person. Right? That's, that's malice. Blasphemy is to destroy someone's character through slander. Filthy language is all inclusive. If it's filthy, don't say it. It pretty much sums it up. You think about when you're getting ready for the day before you go out the door. There's some things you need to put off, aren't there? Physically, there's some things that I need to put off. Some bad breath, some coffee breath. Need to brush my teeth. Need to put that off. This hair can get pretty crazy up here on the top. I need to put off some wild hairs that like to go rogue and get out the gel and try to bring those into submission. Right. I need to put off my PJs and put on some things that are appropriate to go outside the house for which you are all thankful that I'm not here in my pajamas tonight, right? We do it all the time physically, don't we? We go, I'm putting this off because I'm going out for the day. When you're getting ready for the day, think about vertical living, okay? I'm just set my mind on things that are above. Seek those things that are above. So here's some things I need to put off. Anger, wrath malice, just like we would put off filthy clothes. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. Lying is something that we put off. How easy it is to get in the habit of lying and telling half-truths. I don't want to tell them the truth because I'm going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them far more if we lie to them. goes on in verse 10, and now the put-ons. So we have the put-offs, and now we have the put-ons. And I have put on the new man who is renewed in the image, in the knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. So we're putting on the new man. The new man is the new creation in Christ Jesus. You're not that old man anymore. You're not that sinful person anymore that was buried with Christ. You're risen in newness of life. And we hold on to that identity. I'm God's son, I'm God's daughter been created righteousness in Christ Jesus. And that's the first thing that we put on. You've got to know the love of God. You've got to know the identity of God, that he has placed his love upon you, that you're, you're beloved. And that new man's renewed in knowledge. When we learn more about Christ, when we learn more about who God is, that new man is renewed by God. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This is new identity. This is part of the new man. These are the positions that divided the ancient world. The Jew-Gentile division was huge. Circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free. All of that has been done away with because we're in Christ. Christ doesn't see us in our positions or lack of position. It's a new identity in Christ Jesus. And verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and longsuffering. God begins with this identity. It says, because you're the elect of God, you're holy and you're beloved. What does it mean to be the elect of God? It means that you're chosen by God. Let that sink in. If you're in Christ, you're chosen by God. He chose you. He chose me. Remember those recess games of kickball? Two captains? There's always some kids that got chose first, didn't they? And there was always some kids. It's like, we took him last time. We took him last time. It's your turn, right? It hurts. It's no fun. Who cares if you got chosen for the kickball game or not? You're chosen by God. You're elected by God. You're elected by the one who really matters. Saying, well, I haven't trusted Christ as my Savior. Am I elect? Well, tonight, receive Christ as your Savior, and then you are elect. There's so much power in knowing that we're chosen by the Lord. In Him, we're holy. That's what he's created us to be. So now we begin to live that out. Don't miss this Underline, beloved. This is a powerful phrase. God is calling you loved. He loves you. You're beloved. We see this in Jesus as he was baptized. The father spoke audibly from heaven and said, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And God is speaking that over you. He's saying, you're beloved. I love you. My love has been set upon you. Just like there's so much power in being elected, there's also much, so much power in belonging through love. When you, when you belong in your family, when you have that love inside of your marriage and with your, your children, there's so much power that's in, in that, so much with the Lord. We're, we're loved by God. So here's what we put on tender mercies. What is mercy? Not giving somebody what they deserve. Why do we have to put this on? Because it doesn't come naturally. It's not like you're born in your toddler years and all of a sudden you're just naturally merciful. How many toddlers do you see just walking around just extending tender mercies, right? This is something that you have to choose to put on. Say, okay, this is part of vertical living. I want to know Christ and make him known. So how am I going to make him known? By giving tender mercy. Why would God put the word tender with mercy? Because a lot of times when we give mercy, we're not very tender about it. (laughs) We're like, you know what? I'm not giving you what you deserve this time. You better count your lucky stars. Because the next time I'm going to bust your can. So, all right. Nice talk. We had a nice talk there, right? So God's saying, I want you to give mercies with tenderness. I want you to give it with a sincere heart and then to give kindness kindness is an act of showing consideration or caring stopping to help a kind word opening the door we need this with those that were familiar and unfamiliar this will change the atmosphere of our homes who we are at the workplace how we drive it influences the very fiber of who we are of god okay i've woken up this morning Here's the things I need to put off. I'm getting dressed. I'm putting on kindness. I want to treat people with kindness. It's a choice to choose to treat people with kindness. Humility is the humbleness of mind. A deep awareness of one's own littleness or sinfulness. This may may be news to you and news to me, but God has provided us with plenty of material in our lives to produce a great deal of humility. Amen? If I'm honest about who I am and my own struggles, my sin, my mess-ups, there's plenty there to to have humility. But again, this has to be something that we put on because we won't naturally be humble. Meekness is gentleness or power under control. Jesus tells us that he is meek. It's not weakness. It's self-control and and gentleness. Long-suffering, To suffer long, to have patience, endurance, steadfastness, perseverance, our attitude towards one another. We're putting these things on. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We put on an attitude of bearing with one another. This is not tolerating somebody or putting up with somebody. To bear with someone means that we hold up or to sustain. It means we're actually entering in their world and being willing to help them. We're bearing the weight. Saying, okay, they're struggling. They're going through a hard time. They're having a bad day. I'm not going to kick them while they're down. Though I'd like to. I'm going to come in and I'm going to bear. I'm going to sustain that weight. Is there somebody struggling at work that God wants you to come and bear with them? Is there someone struggling at home that God wants you to bear with them? Is there a brother or sister in Christ that's not at their A game, not who they should be, and God's wanting you to to bear with them? That's vertical living. And then forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, what if we just opened it up tonight? We said, you know, let's get real. Let's get transparent. If you've got a complaint against somebody, you can just have the floor and you can tell us all about it. And we'll listen for as long as you want to talk. The service would get real small, real fast, right? (laughs) You might have a legitimate complaint against somebody and it's righteous. It's just. They have wronged you. They have sinned against you. That's why it's a complaint. Just like Jesus had legitimate complaints of us sinning against him. This is what God calls us to do. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. This is a command. This is part of vertical living. God is calling us to forgive because Christ has forgiven us. The forgiveness doesn't have to do with them. It has everything to do with the sacrifice of Christ. So Christ has died for them. Christ Christ paid the price for them upon the cross. Christ has completely forgiven me So I'm choosing to make a choice of forgiveness, not based on feelings, but based on what God has asked me to do. This is what I've discovered in my life. You've probably found it in yours as well. I've never felt like forgiving. It's always been a choice of obedience, not a choice of my feelings, but eventually my feelings do get in line. Make that choice to forgive tonight. Go to bed. You'll make the choice again. Make the choice in the morning. You have the scene and all the details of hurt. But you allow the blood of Jesus to cover over that sin. Over that image of your mind. And you choose. You say it out loud. Jesus, I forgive them because you have forgiven me. There's wrongs that have been committed. You know. God, you're able to deal with that. You're big enough. You hold people accountable. But I'm choosing to forgive. I'm sensing right now through God's leading that there are some of you tonight that this is exactly for you. That as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, You haven't forgiven this person. You have not forgiven this person. You have a complaint against them, and you run it over in your heart and in your mind like a tape recorder. You can remember the conversation. You remember the season, you remember the place, you remember all of it. And it's been playing and playing and playing and playing. And it's destroying you. And it's destroying others. And God, in his love for you, wants to set you free. To respond right now and to say, God, I choose to forgive as hard as it is. You're saying that this is something that I must do. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose to walk in forgiveness. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that you want to. I'm not saying that you won't have to make that same choice again tonight and in the morning, but choose right now to say, okay, God, I'm going to choose to extend that forgiveness because that person has hurt you and they've done enough damage in your life. Why would you continue to allow them to do more damage by unforgiveness? We all know crotchety, bitter people, don't we? That's the problem with bitterness. Everybody else can see it but us. We're not aware of our own bitterness. We don't want to become that person. Bitterness corrupts many. But we also know forgiving people, don't we? That have gone through great hardship and atrocities, but through the depth of what Christ has done upon the cross, they've chosen To forgive and extend that forgiveness. And we end with this. To put on. We're to put on bearing with one another. We're to put on forgiving one another. But above all of these things. Put on love. Which is the bond of perfection. Above all. This is the summary. Of all of the put ons. Maybe we won't remember tender mercies. Kindness. Meekness. Long suffering. But we'll remember love. Put on love. Love. Does it fit into 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of love? Does it fit into the character and nature of Jesus Christ, the embodiment of love? Does it fit into who we know God to be? Then we're putting on love. We're saying, God, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but today, here, I've got a new day. I want to be a loving person. I want to choose to walk in love, and I'm going to put on love. This may seem simple, but this takes an in-depth study of the person of Jesus Christ because we don't understand love from the world's perspective. We get this all wrong. I mean, people that don't know Christ as our Savior could take verse 14 and come up with a whole different definition, couldn't they? Because the world has their own definition of love. And God's not calling us to love the way the world loves. He's calling us to love the way Jesus loves, which is far better, Right? So we look at Christ and who he is in our lives and the way that he loves us and then say, okay, I'm going to endeavor to love other people in that way. And that's the bond of perfection. That's what holds us close as families, husbands and wives with our children. It's, it's love. It's the love of Christ flowing through us. It's what gives us great relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, inside of the body, inside of the family of God. It's that bond of perfection. It's the mark of vertical living. So as we close tonight, some questions, some challenges. What am I seeking? What am I pursuing? You may want to ask this of somebody that knows you well. Okay, honey, tell me what you see me pursuing. Tell me honestly what you think I'm seeking. A good friend, a best friend that you can trust. Say, what am I seeking? What am I pursuing? What have I set my mind on? Is it the things of the world or the things of eternity? Am I willing to slay sin and not to keep it on life support any longer? It's really, okay, I need to put these things to death in my life through Christ's power. And then what am I wearing? Like, really, am I wearing that? I could probably get some stuff out of my closet tonight. I should have done this. Just to have a visual illustration. Where you would go, is he wearing that? Really? He needs to put that off. He needs to put something else on, right? That is so 1995. That's what's great about a t-shirt. It stays in style, I think. But it's convicting. And this is what challenged me. And I was meditating on this section of scripture, how many days of my life do I go through and those that I love that are closest to me and strangers, they go, man, he sure is angry. He sure is bitter. Look at what he's wearing today. And God in his love, he's come and saying, I want this to be more than a Wednesday night Bible study. I want this to be more than just, okay, here I am at church. God's saying, Eric, I want your heart. I want to wake you up to vertical living. I want to wake you up to, to seeking those things that, that are above, setting our mind on those things that are above. What we're to seek, what we're to think, what we're to slay, and what we're to wear. Would you stand with me and let's let's pray together. Father, as we've read through your word and we've been challenged, we know that you do forgive us and you long for us to come to you and to have an open and transparent heart. We pray that you would bring the changes that you desire, that more of our lives would line up with this vertical living. We know it'll bring you glory. It'll come to us understanding you in a greater way and it'll free us up here in this life. We want our lives to be useful for your glory. We pray for those that don't know you that tonight would be the night that they would surrender their hearts to you in Jesus name. Amen.